the Big Bets on Campus podcast. 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 All right, here we go. Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast brought to you by BetMGM. This is the Group of Five Deep Dive. I'm your co-host, Mike Calabrese, joined as always by the Action Network's Mike Ionello. Ready to hit you with some picks here in week two, but of course we have to start with some positivity. We're going to go through our G5 Heroes of the Week. Five and 18 against the spread. G5s were against the Power Five. One and 22 straight up. My hero of the week, college kickers. Bubba Baxa, Houston's kicker. Jared Sackett, UTSA kickers. For my money, and anyone who listens to this pod's money, that was the best game of the weekend. You had Bubba Baxa in a 35-yard field goal with 23 seconds left to give Houston the lead. While UTSA moved the ball down the field, Jared Sackett answered with a 37-yard field goal with no time left to force overtime. Both of them hit field goals in overtime to force second OT. Obviously, Houston gets the win, but I'm going to give a shout out to those two college kickers. Also, a little uh, hat tip to John Hoyland, Wyoming's kicker, who doing the game-winning field goal at the end of regulation, but then hit field goals in overtime and double overtime to give Wyoming the win. So shout out to some college kickers. I'm going to go off the beaten path here, mainly because we've been beating up on this team the whole offseason. I'm going to go with Arkansas State's head coach, Butch Jones. They win 55-3 to over Grambling. Now, granted, they're the 233rd-ranked team out of 261 when you combine all of Division One. Grambling also had more turnover-worthy plays than they did completions. But the reason why he's my hero is because Arkansas State is a team I want to fade all season long. And what I needed for them to do was put some huge wins on the board early you know, generate some of that fool's gold so that when they go to Memphis and they go to Old Dominion at the back half of this month, I can absolutely load up against the Red Wolves. Interesting fact, this comes from Bet Labs. No team in their system dating back to 2005 has won by 52 points or more one week and then lost by 52 points or more the following week. Arkansas State traveling to Columbus, 45-point underdog to Ohio State, who all week is hearing, is the offense broken? Is C.J. Stroud a fraud? They are absolutely going to unload on this Red Wolves defense. I think they're going to be the first team to do it in the system. So Butch Jones, my G5 hero. Every time we get ready to play, I just want to throw up. I'm sick of watching you guys play. All right, we're going to hop in now to our best bets here for week two. I'm going to keep this short and sweet because this is a game that I had circled before the season even kicked off, really. And it was Maryland's traveling to Charlotte. Maryland's a team that likes to pour it on in the non-conference. You saw them do that last year. They beat Howard 62-0. They covered a big number against Kent, scoring 37 points. Here they are traveling to Club Lit, laying 27.5 underneath that key number of four touchdowns. Man, the 49ers are an absolute free fall right now. They played FAU and William & Mary. They lost by 30, and they lost by 17. They gave up 84 points in those two games. That means that their total defense is ranked 119th in the country, giving up just over 520 per game through the air on the ground, tallied up. Just on the ground alone, 260 yards per game allowed, 121st. 
And this is uh, a Charlotte team that really has not been able to stop anybody dating back to last season. They've allowed 38 points or more in seven of their last eight games dating back to 2021. The only team in that window was them holding Rice, I think, to 21 or 24 points. Chris Reynolds is banged up, which means that we could get James Foster again. Not a good look for the 49ers. They both have actually been pretty shaky early on in the season. I know that Chris Reynolds has played in like 55 college football games, but with his, his upper body injury, we'll go with the, the hockey reporting on that one. Whatever it is, he's just not the same guy. Meanwhile, Maryland's totally loaded on offense. You know, they put it together with a quality run game as well. Defensively, they were all over Buffalo. They had four sacks, seven tackles for loss. They only gave up one play of 20 yards or more, and that's really kind of the key in a spot like this, laying a huge number. I don't want to see those explosive plays for Charlotte to be able to hang around, maybe get a backdoor cover. And finally, this is just a player that I've been high on, Talia Tungavailoa. This is his season to try to prove that he's, you know, third, fourth round NFL draft pick. He's got to really run it up in these games. He didn't have a touchdown in the opener. I think he rectifies that here. Demas, Jarrett, Copeland, Corey Dykes at tight ends. He's got just a treasure trove of skill position players. I think he's going to distribute the ball. I think they're going to score close to 50 in this one. I like them laying the big number against the 49ers. Grab case and football. That's what Maryland does. Yeah, for my best bet, I'm going back to well. I'm going back to Georgia State. Uh, they didn't cover last week, but this is, I'm taking Georgia State plus seven against North Carolina. This is a combination of me overreacting in week one and also making sure I don't overreact to week one. So for the overreaction, North Carolina has the worst defense in the history of college football. I mean, they are horrific. They allowed 649 total yards to App State, who's not exactly the most prolific offense. 40 points in the fourth quarter. Chase Bryce, who we don't think is very good, threw for 361 yards, six touchdowns. Obviously, you know, he needed about three more yards for the win. They rushed for 288 yards, three touchdowns. They averaged 6.7 yards per carry. 12 different players caught a pass. Six different caught a touchdown. And this is an App State team that lost all of their receivers from last year. On the flip side, I'm not overreacting to Georgia State's loss. Yes, South Carolina won 35-14. Georgia State couldn't even cover two touchdowns. But they were leading this game in the third quarter. I was watching this game. South Carolina blocked, blocked two punts for touchdowns in the last quarter and a half. Georgia State outgained them. They, they, I, they were the better team. They picked off Rattler twice. They rushed for 200 yards. They averaged five yards per carry. They broke off two 40-plus yarders against an SEC defense. And, yes, Darren Granger really struggled to pass the ball in this game. I do expect him to be better. I, I expect him to be better than he was this week. This team was eighth in the country last year against uh, in running the ball. And they bring back everyone. So they are going to run the ball all over this North Carolina defense that was pushed around by Florida A&M. UNC escaped a dogfight on the road against the Sunbelt team. And now you're going to give me seven points with another one. I'm taking Georgia State. I don't think UNC can pull off that magic twice. Uh, so give me the seven points. With I, I took it at like eight and a half, nine when it first came out. It's already down to seven. I still like it at anything seven or above. Is stuck and Colin Wilson also got into that Georgia State South Carolina game. That's one of those that don't just look at the the score. You got to dig through the box score. You got to look at total yardage. You know the ex expected win percentage. All of those kind of things. I agree. Georgia State played better than the score would indicate. You're absolutely right about this North Carolina defense. It's a non-existent. And Josh Downs may not play on the perimeter for North Carolina. He's one of their matchup nightmares. So a, a lot to like from a personnel standpoint and kind of the X's and O's being what they are. There's nothing that North Carolina can do 
transfer portal is now shut. They can't bring in dudes in the front seven to try to slow down this running attack. So I, I'm with you there. I think I'm going to pair that up uh, with my best bet into a, a little parlay of my own. All right, let's hop in to one of our favorite portions of the G5 podcast. That would be our G5 high five round robin. The G5 high five. Should we high five? High five. And this week you're doing the heavy lifting. You have three of the five picks, so get us started. All right. For my first play of the high five, I'm putting the bias hat on. I don't usually do this. I never play them. I never play against them. I just avoid them like the plague. But give me the Nittany Lions. I'll lay the big number with Penn State. Minus 25 and a half. Look, we're not getting into this here, but say what you will about Sean Clifford. He threw for 382 yards and four touchdowns last week. Added another score on the ground against Purdue. He was doing it hurry. He was battling cramps. Penn State had five drops in the game. That's something that you don't expect to continue throughout the season. I'll tell you what, our boy Mitchell Tinsley looked pretty damn good in that offense. He's got chemistry already. Seven catches, 84 yards, and a touchdown. He was he was Clifford's go-to guy. It, it, Parker Washington didn't even do much in that game. I don't expect that to continue. He's going to get going. Yeah, Ohio got the win against FAU, which made me look stupid. Obviously, I was wrong about that one. Nikosi Perry threw for 364 yards and five touchdowns. Sean Clifford is much better than Nikosi Perry. I don't care what you say about Clifford. He is much better than Nikosi Perry. He averaged 8.7 yards per attempt. And Ohio was able to throw the ball all over FAU, but good luck doing that against this Penn State defense because Joey Porter Jr. is an absolute dog. He's going to be a first-round pick. He forced six incompletions last week, tied for the most in a game for a cornerback since 2014. Him and Jaya Brown both dropped interceptions that probably would have been six the other way. So even like as you know, Penn State obviously won the game, they left a lot on that field. That game could have been more of a blowout in Penn State's favor. This is Penn State's home opener. Again, say what you want about James Franklin. Since he took over as coach, Penn State is six and two against the spread against MAC teams at home. He's not afraid to run it up. He's not afraid to flex for that, you know, Happy Valley crowd. They've covered four straight at home against MAC teams, outscoring them 204 to 36 with an average margin victory of 42. So when they play these MAC teams, you know, 44 13 against Ball State, 45 13 over Buffalo, 63 to 10 over Kent State, 52 nothing over Akron, they run it up. They're going to run it up against Ohio. I'll lay the 25 and a half. I would play this to 28. I think they win probably by 35. I'm glad that you didn't advocate for a first half play here, because I do think from a game planning standpoint, Penn State may try to establish the run. You know, there was a lot of buzz in fall camp between Lee and Singleton that they could they could really get it going on the grounds. And that didn't necessarily materialize against Purdue. So I do think maybe they have some more plotting drives in the first quarter against Ohio. But, you know, in terms of your full breakdown of the game, I agree. I was not high on Ohio to start the season. Of course, this is a G5 podcast, so we're not going to only pile on the MAC teams. I'm going to go ahead and back a MAC team here. Central Michigan, laying five against South Alabama. They just went into Stillwater and scored 44 points. And that was without a superhuman performance from Lou Nichols III. He only had 72 rushing yards. Daniel Richardson, the Raymond Felton of college football, as you like to call him, 424 <laughs> yards through the air, four TDs, 90.5 QBR on the road against uh, Oklahoma State team that by some power rankings, they have them 10th in the entire country, a really impressive performance. And for me, I wanted to see what they could do beyond Lou Nichols. And what they did was they took the ball state transfer, Jalen McGo, 
And he comes in, he's a huge target. I think he's 6-4. He goes nuts in that game. Six receptions, 126 yards, two TDs. That gives them all kinds of advantages in the passing game because now you can't just double Dallas Dixon, who coming into the season was really their only established playmaker at wide receiver. Meanwhile, South Alabama, yeah, they crush Nichols, but you know Sagarin has them rated 172nd nationally. So when you stack that up against potentially a top 10 Oklahoma State team, you know those those outcomes are not even close to an apples to apples scenario. And additionally, South Alabama, even though they were feisty last year, they were feisty at home. They were a bad road team last year. They went one and five straight up on the road, losing their last five, including bad road losses as big favorites to Texas State and Louisiana Monroe. I, I just don't see it in this spot. I understand that they were a very good pass defense last year, but they're only 61st in defensive returning production. I think Central Michigan is going to be able to score in the high 30s, maybe 40s in this game. That's how hot they're rolling right out of the gate. So I'm going to go ahead and go chips here and give a little love to the Mac. Are you serious? Maction, you got to love it. I'm going to back another Mac school, another directional Michigan school. I'm going to take Eastern Michigan. You know, this is a team we were high on early in the year. I, I think, did we both play their over, I believe? Um, but they're getting 11 at Louisiana, another team I wasn't very high on. You know, it's it's hard to know what to take from their first week games for both these teams. Eastern Michigan won 42-34 to 34 against Eastern Kentucky. You know, Taylor Powell, I thought, did look good. You know, veteran, he was 21-30, to 30, 271 yards, three touchdowns. Yeah, the defense is still a problem. You know, giving up 34 to Eastern Kentucky is not the best. But Louisiana, on the flip side, managed just 24 points against Southeast Louisiana. And I didn't think their offense looked good at all. They could not run the ball. As no. someone who, who plays college fantasy football, I had Chris Smith on my team. I'm watching on you know the ESPN Plus stream. They could not get any running lanes for him. And that is their bread and butter. That's the kind of offense that they want to run. It's not the exact same offense that Billy Napier had there last year. But if they can't run the ball, covering a big number, I, I'm already enthused about this pick. Yeah, they they average just 3.5 yards per carry. Again, against an FCS school. I didn't. They played both Chandler Fields and Ben Wooldridge. I don't know why. Neither of them looked really good. Fields has been a three-year backup in this organization or, you know, program. If they're not comfortable giving him the keys after three years in this program, to me, that says a lot about Chandler Fields, you know, that the fact that they have to work in this other guy is like, they're not, they clearly don't trust him. I didn't think he looked good. You know, yeah, I'm definitely nervous. If this, am I going to be surprised to wake up and have Louisiana put 40 on this defense? No, but I think Eastern Michigan's offense is much better than this one. I just think they're, I think 11 is way too many points between two teams. I don't really believe in Louisiana. They they had so much turnover last year. You know, they lost their linebackers. And that's the other thing, too. Southeast Louisiana was actually able to run the ball better than Louisiana was. I think they averaged like four and a half yards per carry. So I'll take the 11 points here with Eastern Michigan. I really like this spot. I think, that, I think this line should probably be closer to six, six and a half. I completely agree with you. I was tempted to sprinkle this in for our money line underdog play, but we, we got to walk before we run. So we'll get to that in a moment. I'm going to go ahead here and play an over. It's actually at 63 and a half right now at bet MGM. So you're going to want to grab this because some other books have it as high as 65 and a half Houston traveling to Texas tech. Listen, it, when you watch week one, the quarterback play between these two teams was off the charts. Clayton soon you know, played an incredible game, particularly down the stretch for Houston, playing at a sneaky, difficult venue, playing the Alamo Dome. That place was a zoo. 
and he leads them in in multiple clutch situations 22 for 32 206 yards three tvs 51 yards on the ground and a touchdown as well and then when i look at the houston defense you know we talked a lot about doug belk and sack avenue they got torched by utsa frank harris goes you know for 337 yards through the air three tds adds another 63 on the ground and a touchdown so it's clear that they can be got you know through the air this is really you had a nitpick a little bit looking at their roster you know season over season and saying you know they lose marcus jones they, they lost some talent in that secondary but of course they'll just be able to replace it apparently not meanwhile texas tech that was one of the biggest coordinator shifts of the entire offseason they bring in zach kitley from western kentucky broke every record under the sun throwing the football around but the question was you know shuck is coming from oregon he underwhelmed there is he the right guy well he gets hurt in the opener and Donovan Smith, who started the last four games under the previous regime last year for Texas Tech, he comes in, goes 14 for 16 against Murray State, 221 yards, four TDs. He looked incredibly comfortable. He was moving around in the pocket. He's not quite a, a true dual threat. He's more of a, a red zone rushing threat. But he's someone who can move around in the pocket, roll outs, and still make some really nice throws. He flashed a lot of that pocket presence. I, I think this is a gift at 63. My numbers call for it to be 70 and a half, so almost a full touchdown worth of value. And I'll say this, Texas Tech likes to play at a fast pace. They ended up, I think it was 21 and a half seconds per play in their opener against Murray State. If they can speed Houston up, and this is a Houston team that clearly could not run the ball without Alton McCaskill. It was a player that I feared that they would miss in a big way because he was their home run hitter in the run game. They just couldn't hit any of those big plays. They couldn't move the chains on the ground. So they essentially turned the game over to tune after a 0-0 first quarter. I don't think we'll see those kind of growing pains in the second game. I think both teams will come out hot, and I like I like the over here. Any reason to think that the Houston defense all of a sudden in one week pieces it together after really getting you know kind of exposed a little bit by the Roadrunners? Yeah, I definitely I definitely like this play. I know in the in the AAC preview you brought up McCaskill being a concern, and Stucky didn't think it was that big a deal. I think yesterday proved he is a big deal, not just the fact that they couldn't run the ball, but I'm very concerned about how much they ran Clayton Toon. Definitely concerned long-term about his health and Houston's you know, futures if, if they're going to keep running him that much. I'll say that. I have a few more things to say about this game, but I'll save it for our Moneyline underdog play. Oh, teaser, teaser. Uh, for my next, my our last play of the G5 high five, I'm doubling down again and fading Liberty one more time. I'm taking UAB minus six and a half. Look, Southern Miss didn't get us that money line win. They were part of our, they were at my dog last week. Although they did cover the three and a half, which I did bet. They lost in four overtimes and they lost Ty Keys again. They went back to that Frank Gore Wildcat. And you just, once that happened, it was kind of over. You know, T Keys got hit with a targeting call. I, I believe he's questionable again this week, which kind of sucks. But again, this game went to four overtimes and Southern Miss turned the ball over five times. Like they should have won this game. Granted, Liberty had three interceptions themselves, um, and they also lost their quarterback. They lost Charlie Brewer, who now is having hand surgery, but we didn't think he's that good anyway. Um, I assume he'll just pop up on some other team next year and be back for his fifth, <laughs> you know, fifth team. Uh, they brought Jonathan Bennett in at first. He threw two picks. He did not look good. Caden Salter came in. I'll be honest, I was impressed by him. He did look good. Um, former four-star recruit. He is freaky athletic, but he did not throw the ball well. He, he threw a pick. He was super inaccurate. By the way, uh, vintage G5. I actually missed the end of the Florida-Utah game because I flipped over to Southern Miss Liberty. It was like standard definition feed on ESPN+. Plus. So I actually missed like what everyone else was watching because I'm watching Southern Miss Liberty. But that's the dedication of the podcast. 
Um, before Frank Gore was forced into playing quarterback, he rushed for 178 yards and two touchdowns against this defense. Southern Miss, I thought, dominated the trenches in this game. They had seven tackles for a loss. They held Liberty to just a 29% success rate on offense. And on the flip side, UAB absolutely thumped Alabama A&M. They won 59 nothing. Just easy peasy, threw for 247 yards and two scores, ran for 231 and four scores. And they did this all without Dwayne McBride, their bell cow back. He was a last minute scratch due to illness. He'll be back on Saturday. They also didn't have their best receiver who's expected to play this game. But the way Southern Miss was able to run the ball against Liberty, McBride, if he's, you know, feeling better in 100%, he should torch, torch this Liberty defense. UAB was 16th in the country in total defense last year. And like I said, I don't believe in either of these quarterbacks. I don't think, you know, Stalter can run the ball. He can certainly, you know, move. But he did not look that great throwing it. And this UAB team has a nasty, nasty secondary. Keandre Swoops, Starling Thomas, Grayson Cash. This they had, I think they had three picks in their first game. This UAB team, I think, is really good. And I, I didn't like Liberty going into the year. And like I said, they should have lost this game to Southern Miss. So... I'll take UAB minus six and a half at Liberty. I'm with you if McBride is gets the green light and is a go here because he can be such an offensive engine for them. And it is really a nice matchup against the Liberty run defense. So I'm, I'm just going to wait to see, you know, when that news pops. The CFF Brian, site as well, they do a nice job with, you know, updating on injuries. There is a tweet yesterday. Brian Vincent said that Dwayne McBride, Kadeem Telfer, and Trey uh, Shropshire all practiced yesterday. They're expected to be back for Saturday's game at Liberty. So that wraps up our G5 High Five Round Robin, which means that we're nearing the end of our program. And this is the time to get in on our underdog Moneyline Parlay. But before we get into that, a reminder to our audience that you can track every one of our picks in the Action app. You're just going to go in and search BBOCG5. That's going to give you all the our deep dive picks, keeping everybody accountable here on the podcast. All right. So we got to pair up two Moneyline underdogs here. Turning good weekends into great weekends. It's time for the Moneyline Parlay. Let's start with yours, Ainella. All right. You sitting down, Breeze? You guys sitting down, yeah. listeners at home? Are you sitting down? I'm going to do the unspankable. <laughs> Un- I, I, I feel like at this moment, it's that scene out of Super Troopers. Can you pull over? I'm already pulled over, sir. I'm already sitting down in my chair, but I'll, I will sit down again for this. I'm about to do the unthinkable. Give me Northern Illinois. Give me them. The amount of times I've been wrong on this team, I might as well start profiting off them. They beat Eastern Illinois, the fighting Tony Romos, 34 to 27 in a game that, yes, they were outgained because, of course, they did. That's what NIU does. They get outgained by 100 yards and a win. That's just who they are. And then this Tulsa team lost to Wyoming in double overtime. And yeah, they outgained the Cowboys by 120. And they gave a fumble return and a blocked punt TD. So it's easy to look at it and be like, okay. You know, Tulsa should have won. Northern Illinois should have lost. That's what both these teams do. Like, Northern Illinois gets outgamed by 200 yards and wins. The Huskies scored a rushing touchdown with three different backs. Harrison Whaley, who we loved, averaged six yards per carry. Northern Illinois returns a ton of production. They have a ton of depth on defense. Tulsa is super inexperienced. They're super thin on the offensive line. We talked about how much the loss of Gillespie was going to affect this team. They gave up 40 points and 400 yards to a Wyoming team that we both stink. Northern Illinois should be able to create a ton of havoc on defense, which is kind of the only thing they're really good at. And they're going to force Davis Brent into mistakes, which is what he does more than any. He had the most interceptions in college football last year. 
you've been on the wrong side of so many fluky games where Northern Illinois wins. They have no business winning. So I'm going to start profiting off of it. Give me the Huskies plus 180. Tulsa is going to outgain them by 160 yards. Brynn's going to throw two picks and Northern Illinois is going to win by three. Lock it up. I think that's that game flow is pretty realistic. I mean, <laughs> essentially control the game on the grounds. And then I would just say triple cover Keelan Stokes. You cannot yeah. let Keelan Stokes get double digit receptions as he did last week. He is their, their main man through the air. So you can game plan to try to take him, you know, take him off the field. I think they get it done. I like that. So I'm going to go a little more conservative with my play. I teed it up before Houston plus 125 traveling to Lubbock. Dana Holgerson, since he showed up in Houston, he's five and three against the spread as a road underdog. And he's won three of those games outright. A lot of experience, obviously, dating back to his West Virginia days. But really, for me, this is a situation to fade Tim DeRuiter. The media fans in general, some view that view him as a great hire. Other ones, like Colin Wilson here from the Action Network, likes to point out that he has a lot of bend but don't break defenses on his resume. And when you look at what he's done in year one as a defensive coordinator, look, let's look at his last two stops. He goes to Cal in year one in Berkeley, 113th against the pass. Last season, he's up in Eugene with a lot of good athletes and certainly you know a team that you would expect to be better against the pass, 89th. So this is a Texas Tech defense that's a total renovation job. They were 119th last year against the pass. How did they do in week one against Murray State? Well, they gave up five passing plays of 20 yards or more, including two over 50. And this was one of the worst FCS passing teams in the entire country last year. So the fact that they still haven't been able to shore up that side of the ball, particularly in the secondary, to me is concerning against Clayton Toon, who is red hot, Tank Dell, Matthew Golden, one of the highest rated recruits in AAC history, coming in playing for them as a freshman. I think that he's going to light up the secondary. It's going to be a high-scoring game. Give me the Cougs. I actually think this should be a pick. So the fact that you're getting plus money on this at all, I think, is a gift. And once again, plus 125 at BetMGM. We talk about how it's such bullshit. It makes me so angry that Houston enters the season ranked 24th in the country. They go out there and beat the Conference USA champs on the road, and they drop a spot in the AP poll. What an absolute joke those voters are. Brett McMurphy, you better have Houston up. You better race Houston in yours, or I'm going to have a word with you, sir, because that's a joke. They go out and beat the conference with Chase Champs on the road, and they fall in the poll. That's crap. Yeah, G5 on G5, you know, wins. Apparently don't move the needle. Maybe this old Southwest Conference rivalry will get the juices flowing for those AP voters. I think Houston wins this by 10. I think Clayton Toon, actually, if he can put up a huge game, I think he starts to enter that fringe of the Heisman conversation because he's somebody who they need him to not only do it through the air, but also on the ground, you know, throw in a, a four touchdown performance against uh, a power five defense. I, I know. I, I think crazier things have happened. So that is all of our picks in a nutshell. Uh, I will point out that if you put together our play of Northern Illinois and Houston, that play that pays plus five thirty over at bet MGM for the parlay, but I'm going to go ahead and run through all of our picks just so it's nice and tidy all in one spot. For best bets, I like Maryland laying 27 and a half at Charlotte. Ionello is on Georgia State plus seven and a half against North Carolina. For a G5 high five, I'll run through this quickly. Central Michigan laying five over 63 and a half between Houston and Texas Tech. Penn State laying 25 and a half against Ohio. Eastern Michigan catching 11 and a half at Louisiana. And UAB laying just south of a touchdown, six and a half against Liberty. And then for our underdog money line parlay, Houston plus 125 and Northern Illinois plus 180. 
I know any final thoughts here on a week that, you know, we talked offline about this. It was, it was a difficult slate to, to go in and mine some of those G5 games. A lot of those potential blowouts, huge numbers being laid as these teams collect their paychecks. Yeah, like I said, I hope it goes better. Five and eighteen against the spread against power fives last week. One and twenty-two straight up. That one, by the way, old Dominion. Don't turn your back on the Wolfpack. Shout out Ricky Ronnie and the boys. Wolf in the shotgun, and he's got him. Asking you shall receive, my friend, from Hayden Wolf. A reminder, you can tune in later this week as Stuck and Colin Wilson go through their entire week two slate and then Big Bets on Campus Live on Saturday, which is an exciting way to start your college football Saturday with Stucky, with Colin Wilson, with Brett McMurphy. Always some guests in there as well, so make sure not to miss that. For Mike Ionello, I'm Mike Calabrese. This has been the Big Bets on Campus podcast brought to you by BetMGM, and this was our Group of Five Deep Dive.